Welcome to the Pardes Parsha podcast. My name is Tzvi Hirschfield, and I have the distinct privilege and pleasure of discussing the profound analysis and deep insights into the Parsha from my wonderful colleagues at the Pardes Institute. So glad you could join us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Pardes Parsha podcast, Pardes from Jerusalem. I am thrilled and honored to be with my friend and colleague, Rabba Shani Gross, who is an extremely important person of the Pardes Institute and Pardes North America. I want to remind everybody that even though you will be hearing this a few weeks from now, we in Israel are recording it now, which means we are still in the midst of war and hostage crisis and facing a lot of difficulties. So if those themes and issues come up, you'll understand it's because our Torah is relevant to us, and that's how it's going to be more relevant to you. But we are both hoping and praying that by the time you listen to this, there will be much better news for the entire Jewish people. But as things are right now, it's a challenging time, and our Torah may reflect that. So welcome, Shani. We are so glad to have you. So here we are in a, it's an action-packed, drama-filled Parsha Mm -hmm. here, right? You've got the, uh, in a way, maybe you'd agree or disagree, sort of the climax, if you will, of the Joseph and his brother's story with this confrontation between these two brothers and all the things that people read into that. And perhaps a reconciliation, perhaps not, depending on how you understand how they go forward. But uh, tell us, share with us, what what stands out for you in this Parsha? Well, just like you said, we're really at the climax of our story. Um, So much has happened, you know, to Yosef as a result of his brother's actions of selling him into slavery. And since then, Yosef has put his brothers through quite a few trials um, himself. And now we're really having this confrontation, this face-off between Yosef and Yehuda. Um, and it's this moment that turns our story and ultimately is what leads Yosef to revealing his true identity to his brothers. Right. Even that opening word, Vayigash, which is so loaded and can be interpreted as approached or even confronted, there's a sense that uh, what's happening now, that these two brothers represent the future of this family uh, one way or another. Yes. And I think it's actually really an important point because to some extent, Yosef and Yehuda are two major leaders within the family. And at the same time, in very different ways, you have Yosef, who is the favorite son and least favorite amongst the brothers facing off with Yehuda, who is clearly the leader of the family. Everything that he says ultimately is what ends up happening. And similarly, in terms of the way that speech plays out between these two characters, it's really interesting how Yosef is sort of this mouthpiece for God, this teller of dreams and prophecy. Although ironically, every time he seems to speak on his own, things don't go so well for him. You know, the story starts with Yosef telling bad reports of his brothers to their father Yaakov, which again is part of why the story ends up the way it does. And similarly, the brothers can't speak a kind word to him, we're told from the verses themselves. And so you have these two pillars within this family facing off against each other. And now Yehuda is going to approach Yosef with speech, with his power of speech. 
In, in principle, this might be the first conversation they've had since Yosef was sold. Even though Yehuda doesn't realize at the beginning who he's talking to, these brothers, the seller and the one who was sold off, are now confronting each other and speaking to each other. And if I understand, this for you is central to what this Parsha is trying to teach us. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's also important to note that the other significant aspect to this particular face-off is Yehuda is the one who ultimately decided Yosef's fate. The brothers first throw him, Yosef, into a pit, and they intend to kill him. And it's Yehuda that ends up saying, Ma betza, what's the benefit to us from doing that? Let's sell him off into slavery instead. It's almost like, what's the financial gain for us? It's very cold. It's very callous. But it's Yehuda's speech that ultimately convinces the brothers to send Yosef into slavery, which is how they're getting to this very moment of the brothers beseeching Yosef's mercy. So Yehuda is the one that seems to know how to talk uh, to his brothers. And Yosef, you're suggesting, is the one who, although he can apparently talk to all of Egypt and talk to Paro and talk to Potiphar and talk to the person in charge of the pit and everybody else that he speaks to that's enamored with him, he doesn't seem to know how to speak to his own family. That's right. That's right. And there's a real lack of emotional connection between these characters, certainly up until this moment. And um, you have, you know, when the brothers first throw Yosef into the pit at the beginning of their story, he gets thrown into the pit and they immediately sit down and eat a meal. We don't hear Yosef's cries and they don't seem to hear it. It's sort of erased from our story and they're able to eat. We're told that the pit has no food and no water and they're able to sort of sit and enjoy a meal together. And it's from that conversation that Yehuda says, hey, let's throw him into slavery. Let's, you know, sell him off. And so, you know, there's sort of an inability for this family to speak to each other and connect to each other on an emotional level. And it's why this moment of our story is so interesting and is such a turning point because Yehuda we're told vayigash, vayigash, the word vayigash means to come close. It's actually interesting. A lot of the commentators are sort of wondering what exactly is vayigash? What does it mean when we say vayigash? Is Yehuda coming to fight Yosef? Is this sort of a, a harsh conversation? Is this a tefillah, a plea, a prayer? You know, is this an appeasement? And ultimately there's a really interesting midrash by the sages that says that when Yehuda approaches Yosef, Judah approached him, it is written, like deep water is counsel in the heart of a man. This is analogous to a deep well filled with water. Its water was cold and good, but no person could drink from it. So the, the Midrash is sort of saying the way Judah approached Yosef was like one who approaches a well full of delicious water, but somehow nobody can drink from it. There isn't a way to access that water. And someone came and tied rope to rope and thread to thread and cord to cord. And from it, he drew from the well and drank from the well. And then everyone began to draw and drink from it. So too, Judah did not relent from responding to Yosef, to Joseph, regarding each and every matter until he touched his heart. So I guess the question which I would want to ask you, Yosef clearly has some plan that is going on that he's trying to affect, and whether it's the Abarbanel or the Ramban, where he's trying to make his dreams happen, he wants his father to bow to him, we don't know really. Uh, he wants to see them with Binyamin, but clearly something happens here. His plan is he changes his mind, that there is something that Yehuda is able to say to him where he gives up on his whole 
plan that he's got and reveals himself to the brothers right now. And I guess I'm wondering, as you read this story, you know, I'm thinking about that beautiful Midrash you just raised about how someone figures out how to get to water that other people can't get to. What is it that you think Yehuda is able to do here that gets this response from Yosef, a response that Yosef himself didn't even seem to plan for? I think that there's actually something remarkable that Yehuda is able to do, which is perhaps something Yosef is listening for. Because if we can imagine, for Yosef, Yehuda is the person who was ultimately responsible for casting him out of his family and having him forced out of his home. And, you know, something I've been thinking about is why why has Yosef never returned, right? He's this big prominent figure now. Presumably, there would be no issue with him maybe taking a, a weekend off to go visit his family. Um, they're not that far away from each other. And yet Yosef never does. And you could imagine why would Yosef return? Because ultimately, this, that's not a family. This is not a family of brothers. This is where every brother is for themselves. And so for Yosef, I think what Yehuda manages to do is he writes a new story. This is the brother, my brother Binyamin, who Yosef is now trying to take from them. And he says, this is my brother, my father's favorite son, just like you once were. Right? He doesn't know that he's speaking to Yosef, but the ingredients are all the same. We have the favorite son, and there's a great opportunity to get rid of him. And Yehuda chooses a different path. He uses his speech to save his brother. And not just save him, Yehuda casts his lot with his brother. He says, take me, take me instead, take all of us. Don't take this one. It's going to be too painful for my father. I'm going to have sinned for the rest of my life. Don't do it. And I think it's that moment where Yosef is able to hear that this is a new kind of family. This is a family that can actually have a new kind of story. So Yehuda, if you want to say the Rambam, he he completes perfect tshuva. He's in the same situation again, where you can imagine the desire to get rid of another one of Rachel's sons, the loved wife and the preferred sons. And, you know, this family has a tough history. Often when there's a preferred son, everybody else gets kicked out. So you can understand all the fears and all the concerns and all the, the issues going on. And yet somehow he overcomes all that, right? He's, he's confronted with the situation and he does the opposite. Instead of sacrificing his brother, he sacrifices himself to save his brother. And I guess I'm curious, you, what do you think changed in him from the man who wanted to get rid of the brother he hated to someone who quite literally will sacrifice his life for another brother? So there's something that I think is really interesting is that, you know, something happens through this trial. I mean, there we could point to so many parts of Yehuda's story that may have led to this moment. Um, certainly his episode with Tamar, we could certainly say is something that may have led to this moment. But I actually want to focus on a different part of the story, which is something that we sort of pass over really quickly, which is in our last Parsha, Yosef throws his brothers into prison. When they first come and he sort of accuses them of potentially being spies, he throws them into prison. And we're told that in the moment that they're in prison, the brothers say, we're being punished because of our brother, i.e. Yosef, what we did to Yosef, because we looked on at his anguish and we paid no heed as he pleaded with us. And so suddenly that episode that was erased, what was going on for Yosef in the moment that they threw him in the pit, right? We don't hear his cries. We don't hear his screams. And again, they're able to sit and eat. It's as if it doesn't affect them at all. They don't even hear their brother. And all of a sudden, there's a recognition. We did something wrong. 
because we didn't just do this terrible thing. We literally didn't hear him. Lo shamanu. He pleaded with us and we ignored him. We were able to totally erase our brother from our hearts. And actually in that moment, it's really interesting. Yosef too, throughout his entire story, up until he sees the brothers again, there's also this emotional absence from his story. What does Yosef feel when he's being put in the pit? What does he feel when he's imprisoned in Egypt, when he goes through all these trials and tribulations? We don't hear what that is for him emotionally. And suddenly in that moment, we're told that he listens to his brothers. It says, they did not know that Yosef understood, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and wept. Suddenly, it's as if their recognition, their ability to have some emotional depth, breaks something open in him. And he's able to cry. And I think back to this midrash of the water, right? There's also the water of tears and heartbreak. There's almost, they're able to reach an emotional resonance that they weren't necessarily able to so long ago, that there's time that passed and there's something that they've been able to overcome, that they can look at the pain that they've caused and actually take accountability for it. You imagine like what everyone has now been carrying throughout this story, right? All the the guilt and the sadness and perhaps the anger and the frustration. And here we are, and they're confronting each other. And so you've spoken about the changes that Yehuda has to go through to enable him to express something that fosters connection. What are the changes you think Yosef has to go through to enable him to hear it? Like, why isn't he just still filled with rage? You know, why isn't he still like, are you kidding me? Too little, too late. And uh, what you did to me is unforgivable. And, uh, you know, forget it. Something breaks in him also. And I'm wondering if you've given thought about what is it that enabled him to hear those words and engage with his family? You know, I'm thinking about what it's like when someone else hears our pain right? There's almost a validation that you can hear. And I wonder for Yosef in that moment, right? Up until then, the last interaction he has with these brothers is, these are people who, without even thinking about it, were able to cast me for dead, basically, right? They were willing to kill me. They were certainly willing to sell me off into slavery. What I know of these brothers is that this is not a real family. This is not something that I'm a part of. And all of a sudden, I wonder what it was like for him to hear themselves take accountability, not just for what they did, but the pain they caused him and the pain they caused their father. Yosef is able to see not only are they regretful, not only do they take accountability for what they did, but there's an element of chatati, right? We sinned and not just with speech, with our actions, we're not going to do the same thing again. And it's almost like there's a new story that can be written. And I think about this midrash again with the water, you know, the story starts with a pit that is without water, that is dry, that is empty, that has nothing in it. There's no life force in it. And I think it's very much resonant with this family. This is a family that has no life force in it, that has no love, that has no connection with it. And all of a sudden, Yehuda is able to instead fill it with life, fill it with love, fill it with emotion. And it's that that ends up opening up Yosef, that allows him to be vulnerable that allows him in turn to literally let his walls down, let his guard down, let his mask down and encounter his brother. And we're told it's actually really beautiful. We have this word vayigash. So right, Yehuda comes close. He approaches with closeness, with vulnerability. And then in response, Yosef is so overcome that he weeps 
and it says, He cries, he weeps, and everyone in, in Mitzrayim, everyone in Egypt can hear. And then he says to his brothers, and actually he tells them his identity, they're not able to handle it. We're told that they're so shocked they can't even speak. Again, that theme of speech kind of coming in and out. And then what does Yosef do? He responds with closeness. He says, Gishuna Eli, come close to me. That same word, Vayigash, Gishuna, now come close to me. You came close, now come close. And he says, I'm your brother and I love you. He does this amazing thing. Yehuda writes a new story. And in turn, what it allows is for Yosef to rewrite the old story. And he says, you threw me into Egypt. That's true. But it wasn't you. It wasn't you that sent me. It was God. So he lets them off the hook. He lets them off the hook. He rewrites the story. He gives them that gift, that gift of uh, you're not really to blame. You don't have to carry this guilt with you because this was all part of some divine plan. Exactly. It's bigger than all of us. It's exactly right. You know, he elevates the relationship of this family to being something more important than the individual pains and hurts that occurred between them. And maybe that's the language that's necessary to transcend. You have to find a language of something here is bigger than each one of us individually. And that bigger thing is worth preserving, even if it means I have to let go of all my legitimate hurts and fears and anger, that there's something bigger here. And it sounds like that's what all these characters are struggling to figure out how to do, to sort of transcend themselves. And Yehuda is trying to transcend himself and offer himself for his brother. And then Yosef transcends everyone in a way and says, all of you are off the hook because it all came from God. This sense of, and I'm wondering what you make of this as a lesson. Like, what is this telling us about the Jewish people as a family in terms of how we need or can perhaps overcome the tensions between us and the difficulties between us? And I'm sure you're well aware, especially in the last year or so in Israeli society, these tensions have been fierce and awful. And I'm just wondering, you know, what your takeaway is for that in terms of this Jewish family and how we can try to repair and relate to each other? Well, I think there's a few things. The first is, I think, being able to see um, and validate the pain that we're each of us experiencing. You know, I think it's so interesting in this moment, and Svi, I'm thinking about you and I in particular, there was such a strange moment where after October 7th, there was a moment where you and I were on the phone, and I think you said to me, how are you doing? It seems like things are going really, you know, it's tough out there in, in America. I remember thinking like, what a strange moment that you in Israel are asking me in America how I'm doing. And I think that it's such a beautiful example, first of all, of how do we outside of Israel make sure that we are not turning our hearts away from the pain that our brothers and sisters in Israel are experiencing? How do we as a family step in for each other? I'm thinking about Yehuda as a model. Yehuda uses both his own physical body to step in, step in front of his brother, to step in front of Benjamin and, and keep him out of harm's way. And I'm thinking certainly of our, again, our brothers and sisters in Israel who are literally fighting to save our brothers and sisters from captivity and to, again, put their body in harm's way, potentially, um, for the sake of Am Yisrael, of uh, the nation of Israel. And I, I'm thinking about, at the same time, Yehuda also uses speech and I think for those of us outside of Israel, how are we using speech 
on behalf of our family, our family in Israel, whether it's in a school boardroom or on a university campus or on social media, how are we using the power of speech to cast our lot with those in Israel to really see ourselves as one family and responsible for each other? And that speech is one way to access that. And again, I think that the way this story ends is after Yosef reveals his identity, he cries more. He cries and he kisses his brothers and he cries with them and they're able to actually speak with him. We have this sort of full circle moment where the story starts with his brothers not being able to say a kind word to him. And then all of a sudden he cries with them and they're able to speak to him. Cain Dibru Achavito, his brothers are actually able to speak to him again. And all of a sudden this communication happens. And so again, I think before October 7th, one could say that there was a reality in which I think Jews in America and certainly Jews in the diaspora are sort of living their life and maybe Jews in Israel are able to live their lives. But how do we make sure that we're actually invested in each other? How are we casting our lot together and seeing ourselves as a larger family in tangible ways? It occurs to me, though, it would be terrible if the only thing that made us feel that connection was tragedy. Like I'm thinking to myself, even though often that does seem to be the case. And I think at that moment when I asked you how you were, I think those of us in Israel understand that those of you outside of Israel, when you identify with us, you're now exposed. You're exposed to uh, hatred by some and even violence in certain cases. And so I think that, you know, there's no monopoly on suffering that anybody has to take on. But I think the awareness that Israelis now have that this is not about the state of Israel, but on a very deep level, this is about the Jewish people. And the state of Israel owns some of that because we call ourselves the Jewish state, right? And we call ourselves the state of the Jewish people. So I think that that's part of what's happening here. But I think this awareness, the ways we are interconnected, and a lot of them in very scary ways, I guess you'd have to say, in terms of having enemies and having haters and having people who delegitimize our existence. Or, you know, when you read this story about this woman high school teacher in Queens, who, because she had the audacity to post a Facebook picture on her own Facebook page of going to a pro-Israel rally, there's a riot in that high school and she has to lock herself into a room. And all these stories of Jews being attacked and having to lock themselves into libraries, into classrooms, into dorm rooms, into all sorts of rooms, you know, this sense, I think we all need to communicate to each other as a Jewish people, our awareness of what's happening, our fears over what's happening. And I think there's a tremendous strength in that, even though there's a temptation to want to own the pain. Mine is worse than yours. Mine is harder than yours. And I think that's what Yosef could have done, right? Well, yeah, you've had a hard time. You've had to live with guilt. Look what I went through. Right. Or turn off the pain, right? I think that certainly I know so many of us during COVID at some point stopped watching the news, right? We were like, this is too hard. I'm not going to watch the news. And I think, you know, again, I think it's terrible that it's tragedy that's that's bringing us to this moment. But I'm thinking about how many of us are just constantly hitting refresh as we're waiting for every new hostage return, literally just waiting for the moment where, you know, the hostages make it into the Red Cross car, make it into Egypt, make it into the hospital, right? And I think there's um, how are we not growing callous to the pain? that we're seeing and the innocent lives lost. How do we, how do we 
keep our hearts open, keep the pain, right, this ability to weep for each other. I think that's such an important piece. How are we keeping our emotional depth and hearts open? It sounds like you've given us the answer here, right? We have to listen and talk. We have to use our words with each other and to talk to one another and listen to one another, even though it's going to make it hard and difficult. And we all want to hide, but, uh, you know, that that hiding comes the terrible price of shutting down and shutting off and disappearing from one another. So uh, I think the advice you're giving us is we got to dig in deeper and uh, really share with one another the difficulties and the sadness and the pain and you know, that ultimately leads us to a place where God willing, we'll be able to share the happiness and the joy also. And uh, that's what we have to look forward to. So uh, thank you very much. I realize we got a little down, right? <laughs> exactly. We got a little down, but even in the story, the story ends positively in the sense of this family is back to being a family with, of course, slavery in Egypt waiting for us around the corner. But maybe the gift is we're going to go through it as a family and ultimately as a people. And maybe we need to take great comfort in that. And I have to remind myself to take comfort in that. I think it's also, again, it's that moment. Maybe it is the moment of pain. But at the same time, it's what makes a story about 12 brothers into a story about a family, a nation, right? It's something that grows bigger than itself. And so if it's this moment, <laughs> I don't really want to bring anything positive to this moment. My only hope is that that we can share not just in each other's pain, but ultimately in each other's stories and in each other's joys, and that our story continues as one family. And I think the, the test of Emunah here is that our story will continue, right? That as hard as it is right now, this story is going to keep going and it's going to go forward and it may even get better and happier and more joyous down the road. And as we're confronting all this, we have to hold on, I think, to that view. And maybe that's another thing that we give to one another, right? We not only share each other's pain, but maybe we have to give each other hope as well that things are going to get a lot better. So I guess we'll leave ourselves with that challenge that we're going to talk more and listen more and take the risk of sharing each other's difficulties and pain with the hope that we're also going to share each other's joys and wonderful moments as well. So thank you, Shani, so much. It was so nice to see you. Thank even you though it's too. on the screen. It's so lovely to see you as always. Okay, everybody, we're going to stop here. Thank you so much for listening. And again, on behalf of Shani and myself, we extend our prayers that the hostages should be released, the soldiers should be safe, that there will be a safe and secure peace for the Jewish people down the road in the land of Israel and outside the land of Israel. And we want to wish all of you a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Pardes Parsha podcast, recorded here at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and gained some new insights and perspectives on the Torah portion. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to exploring the Torah with you again next week on the Pardes Parsha podcast. Shabbat Shalom.